Welcome to Escape the Earth. We are a sci-fi and fantasy podcast broadcasting from an undisclosed location within the San Antonio Public Library. We are supported by the library and by the San Antonio Public Library Foundation. So a big shout out to them. I'm Mary Elizabeth and my other crew members today are Alyssa. Hi, everybody. Tim. Cheers. And JD. Hey, y'all. Today, we are going to be talking about Neil Stevenson's Snow Crash. Before we get into that, we just want to warn you, warn everyone about a couple of things. First, there will be spoilers. We go into this assuming you have read the book, and so we aren't going to tiptoe around anything. If you haven't read the book, hit the pause button, go read it, and come back. Part of our goal is to encourage people to read books. Second, this is geared towards adults. We're not potty mouths, but sometimes the subject matter will not be for young ears. So this is Tim. I'm going to give you the the rundown on Neil Stevenson. So get your samurai sword and your metaphorical bottle of Cuvassier. For me, that's a cup of coffee because I'm working. Neil Stevenson. He's an American writer known for his work of speculative fiction. His novels have been categorized as sci-fi, historical fiction, cyberpunk, post-cyberpunk, and Baroque. I wonder why he doesn't subscribe to the Rococo style of writing. Just kidding. This is all from his Wikipedia page. Stevenson's work explores mathematics, cryptography, linguistics, philosophy, currency, and the history of science. He also writes nonfiction articles about technology and publications such as Wired. He has written novels with his uncle, George Jewsbury, also known as J. Frederick George, under the collective pseudonym Stephen Burry. Stevenson has worked part-time as an advisor for Blue Origin, a company founded by Jeff Bezos, developing spacecraft and space launch systems, and is also co-founder of Subital Corporation, whose first offering is the interactive fiction project, The Mongoliad. He was Magic Leap's chief futurist from 2014 to 2020. So Alyssa's going to give us the summary, and I can't wait to hear you summarize this. Thanks, Tim. When hero protagonist, hacker, pizza deliverator, and the world's best swordsman nearly fails to make his delivery, he is saved by a young courier named YT, who gets the pizza there just in time. The result? Hero owes the mafia, but they love YT. Then, Hero's hacker friend and co-creator of the metaverse, David, tries a drug called Snow Crash, which turns him into a babbling idiot. Hero's, and David's, ex-lover, the brilliant hacker Juanito, warns Hero against having anything to do with Snow Crash and tells him to keep the hell away from Raven, who he of course runs into later at a Vitaly Chernobyl and the Meltdowns concert but not as badly as the gargoyle Lagos does, who gets split stem to stern before Raven takes off. Hero and YT pursue until they have to back off because Raven's packing a nuclear weapon. Juanita leaves a lot of information in a virtual library, complete with AI librarian, her hero in the metaverse, then takes off for the Pacific Northwest. Hero digs into Lagos's research and figures out Snow Crash is some sort of neurolinguistic virus slash drug slash religion with the potential for mind control a feature which media magnet L. Bob Reif is seeking to exploit. Hero follows Juanita to Astoria on the raddest motorcycle ever, where he teams up with the Mafia, who also turns out to be on Team Lagos. YT gets picked up by the feds and sent off to the raft, a floating mass of snow crash-infected refugees and religious fanatics parked off the coast of Oregon. It's a hostage situation. Hero fights his way to the raft, trying to be a white knight, but gets saved by Juanita instead. Together, they broadcast the cure for Snow Crash to the infected humans on the raft and thwart Rife's plan. However, the metaverse is still under threat from Raven, who's trying to fulfill its lifelong dream of nuking America. Hero logs in, kills Raven's avatar, and disarms his logic bomb just in time to save all the hackers gathered at an event for David. Rife takes YT to LAX, where she escapes safely in the chaos and calls her mom for a ride home. Rife isn't so lucky. A radioactive rat thing loyal to YT throws itself into his plane's engine, blowing himself and his neurolinguistic hacker virus to smithereens. 
a lot happens in this book. A lot happens. <laughs> well done. <laughs> Wait, now do it like an auctioneer. <laughs> I don't have that skill. <laughs> That's not my talent set. So, let me see if I understand this. A media magnet tries to use his money and power to control people's minds. Yeah. Yes. Alternate <laughs> intros. <laughs> has, has that ever happened before? Let me think. <laughs> I think this book is famous for predicting many things. <laughs> like the metaverse and virtual reality <laughs> when did yeah. this book come out 90 1992 92 because mm -hmm. i'm sure the data collection and ai like that marriage is happening now it's like right totally yeah. asymptote <laughs> so virtual it reality uh, augmented reality was a thing it was developed in the 60s so in the 90s it was a very nascent thing, but it was a thing that existed. So he is drawing from actual existing science. Mm -hmm. science yeah. Yep. Military had it mostly. Mm. This book, access to it starts to level off a little bit, which we we haven't quite gotten to, I think, you know, where we are in history, but I think we're going there in the next 10 years. Right. I mean, and they're like, it's so prevalent in this world that people can drive down the road while also being hooked into the metaverse because <laughs> they got their goggles on because they got their goggles on their hololens their google glass their uh what's the new <laughs> apple one called i've forgotten already oh gosh is there another one, another one? yeah there's an, <laughs> apple's developing that product and if you haven't looked at it watch a video it's wild and what's funny about that is you know i was going through things about neil stevenson online and on his web page he doesn't have an about section, but he does have a social media disclaimer all about why he doesn't use social media that much. And it was really because he went through what seems like a little screen addiction, scrolling to see posts that he might have missed. And he reached a point where he's like, I'm wasting too much time with this. And, you know, I need to focus on other things. So... He's a prolific writer. He's written at least half a dozen books and they're long. Every single one is long. I've read this one and I've read Seven Eves, which has scarred me for life. <laughs> so I recommend that book. Got a lot of hard science, just like this one. There's a lot of hard science in it. I'm having a hard time trying to grasp how to talk about the science and the religion. It's something of a of a religious virus or language virus that happens during this book. And I'm just like, how would I explain that to anybody? <laughs> maybe, maybe that's how you would explain it. There's a virus that everybody has sitting dormant in their brains. And this L. Ron mm -hmm. Hubbard Rife guy is able to <laughs> is able is able to tap into that. <laughs> Well, what like he discovers is that the human brain can be programmed through language like a computer using binary what, the, the Sumerian language or whatever. Yeah, it's so and hackers, because of their reliance on binary, are particularly susceptible to it. It was it, such a fascinating concept to read about. I was like, whoa! <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, the book is long because there is so much set up in here, because there's also a lot of social science aspect to it, right? The government is basically defunct, and the world is shifted into this sort of hyper-capitalism where everything is run by corporations, even the military. Prisons are run, are privatized. Police forces are privatized. They have this concept of the burb clave, which are these like 
HOAs on steroids that have their own private police forces and and rules and Hero's job when we meet him he's a deliverator a pizza delivery man who specializes in getting pizzas delivered within 20 minutes if the uh, pizza is late if it's delivered over 30 minutes then the mafia gets you because the mafia owns big pizza <laughs> like Cosa Nostra pizza <laughs> Uncle Enzo I really liked that character. <laughs> yeah, it's How definitely does... not a society we are familiar with too well right now. <laughs> but we can see Getting it on there. the horizon. I could, I could definitely see this. But yeah, like the borders of the United States of America have like shrunk to down to just where people work in federal offices, it seems like. Yeah, because everything else is just so privatized and corporatized. I love it when he talks about the low glue. That's about the, the uh, what? The he calls it the or maybe it's the log glue, the low glue oh, or low glue. I imagine it's like an an uh, amalgamation of logo and igloo. And when he approaches like a franchise or franchulate, I think is what they call it, and there's all of that signage. I imagine that it just creates that igloo or like kind of, you know, half sphere of uh, logos and advertising and signage. And and it's interesting, too. They talk about how they're different colors, like the red ones are like the cheaper ones. And then it's yellow. And then the more expensive, fancier neighborhoods are blue and purple and green. (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot of really great world building as they go along. You're kind of like learning as these characters move through the world, which is really fantastic. The whole setup at the beginning with his pride in being a deliverator because he gets to do whatever he wants as far as fighting goes, as opposed to when he was like a security person. He's got so many different identities. Yeah, and I I should say, I disclaimer, I've only read one fifth of the book, but I did notice in talking about his world building, he does that flawlessly, like with introducing so many new concepts and like Alyssa was saying about the what did you call it the glue glow whatever the the low glue yeah you're like in that world you can visualize it very easy with so many things being thrown at you I think a lesser author would you know you'd be like what 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 is he trying to say like the last book I would say but yeah he does a really good job of this what about the loogie gun I want one. Oh gosh, that was so gross. <laughs> I mean, I think just calling it a loogie was what really <laughs> made me have a visceral reaction to it. Like, no, please, no, I don't <laughs> want that. <laughs> but it's a great way of having nonviolent way of taking down a criminal. So that was pretty, <laughs> pretty good. And the rat thing. Oh, the rat thing. <laughs> the rat thing's amazing. A wonderful, yeah. It was wonderful. I think that's horrible. That, wonderful and horrible. So the rat thing is an amalgam of a robot and and stray dogs. Basically, they we don't they don't go into it too much, but we do come out of it knowing that these robotic creatures that are just faster than than light almost or as, as fast as light. In their brains and their consciousness are dogs, and they they know they're good doggies and there's bad doggies and and now they're now they, now he's a good doggy and and there are bad people and there are good people. And, <laughs> so it's so wonderful and innocent and and bad people are not part. allowed in my yard. Not allowed. <laughs> <laughs> and there are these creatures that take what, what is it, Mister Lee's, Mister Lee's that- Hong Kong Frenchulate. Mr. Lee's Hong Kong friend. They they take care of those lands wherever those franchulets are because there's no guns allowed in in there. But they do have these these creatures that take care of everything because they can because they're faster than light and they can beat up everybody. <laughs> I think they're part of Ing's security service. I think they're. I imagine mm. that they're created by Ing. Kind of imply that later on in the book. I I think you're right. I I, I believe it's the same thing. Yeah, that's a wild character. So Aang is this uh, 
from Vietnam and he was involved in a, I think a bomb blew up on him. And so he now, he eschews wheelchairs, electronic wheelchairs, and he decides that he gets this big, what is it? Some kind of a large truck. He's suspended in gel and it puts him in the metaverse the entire time. So in his consciousness reality, he's in this really nice office in Vietnam and there's these beautiful ladies waiting on him all the time. And But his gel suit gives him everything that his body needs and he drives this giant truck around. And you find out later that it's free on cooled and full of rat things in the back in case he needs to get <laughs> stuff done. Yes. And also he drives by sound. Like he makes vocalizations to move the car around, which is just fascinating. At the time we meet him, uh, YT is who's the other main character that we follow. She's a great character. She's 15 years old and she's a warrior and does whatever she wants, basically. And like her whole culture of being a courier is pretty fantastic. Well, it's essentially skater culture transformed into a courier business. Right, right. And, and just the way that she meets Hero is, is great. She attaches her spoon onto his car and he's he's trying to lose her because the couriers when they hitch a ride with the car slow them down he's trying to deliver a pizza in under 30 minutes and the courier will slow him down in the process of trying to lose her which he is completely unsuccessful at he wrecks his car and she completes his delivery for him on a whim and like from the get-go you you want to see where where it's going with this new character as she is in the what first couple of chapters introduced she's really likable they both are yeah 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 what did i don't you like all... yt really? no <laughs> i didn't like yt the first time i read this book and i don't like yt this time i think she's really <laughs> annoying oh uh, yeah I, I can see that from where she gets introduced she, like the putting the little, car or whatever but she's a little problematic i don't think she's well written either i don't feel like he does a good job writing a teenage girl. Mm. I will say, though, having read Seven Eves, which was written many years later, he writes women very well in that book. Many of them. But I don't think YT. I, I don't relate. I don't I like YT. <laughs> I can respect that. But maybe that's part of the writing, too. And I think the, you just said it right there. A 15-year-old girl who may be mature, but also has yet to mature. Girl. Many. Like I, it's I'm, an unformed teenage there aren't uh, many women characters in this book. There's Juanita, who we barely see throughout this whole thing. And then there's YT. And she's kind of ditzy. And yeah, I can see the problems in her character. <laughs> but I think I just glommed on her because she's a lead in this book and she's a girl. But then also she is a child and there's a questionable scene that happens towards the end with Raven. <laughs> Where it's like, oh, I can see how a 15-year-old would get swept up in this. But it's just like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. He's, he's what is he, like 30? <laughs> and, it's like, and it's not with, with Hero. But like, yeah, Raven. And Raven and Hero are contemporaries because their fathers were contemporaries in Vietnam. And somewhere in the 70s, they both ended up having sons. So this 15-year-old girl has intimate relations <laughs> with Raven. <laughs> He has poor impulse control. It's Yo, tattooed on right. his forehead. I read her as being too smart for her own good, more more than ditzy. I mean, she she's clever enough to get herself into some real trouble. Yes, yes, I would agree with that. I like how Hero is having his crazy escape scene almost at the same time that YT is trying to get her have her escape scene from the building it's like they're not at the same time but I had a hard time figuring out time in the book every now and then it's like it seemed like what like Hero was ahead at some point and YT yeah. was still where it's we not had linear off. it's not yeah, always it's linear. Not linear that kind of no. threw me a couple of times yeah and also kind of placing what time frame we're looking at. So I'm thinking it's in the time of when the book was published. Like it's supposed to be a modern 1990s. 
the technology piece is very interesting. Like some things were way ahead of that time period and some things were right there at that time period. Like there's this scene where after the Vitaly Chernobyl and the Meltdowns concert, when Raven like cuts open Lagos and um, Hero's running around with all the enforcers, they get into the enforcer's car and they're re- pulling up all this data on Raven to try to figure out what's going on. And then they do a printout. They print a bunch of documents <laughs> out of the dash. <laughs> Get the floppy disk. <laughs> so they've got the metaverse on these goggles, but they're still printing crap out on hard copy. <laughs> the the three ring binder aspect of of, of everything comes up frequently. <laughs> Just the rules and regulations of the Cosa Nostra, of the government, of you know all of these things that are still printed out. Well. Oh. L. Bob Reif has a great quote about, you know, watching government regulators trying to keep up with the world is my favorite sport. <laughs> it's like they they figured out how to regulate horses at the same time the Model T and the airplane were introduced. So some things are forward and some things are backwards. It just depends on where it's originating from, I guess. I don't know. In preparing for this, J.D. asked, are there things that are more relevant now than when it came out? And the one thing I thought of was people living in storage units, because I have seen some of that recently in the news. Yeah, I moved around a lot. (laughs) And there are times when I'm like, why can't I just live in a storage unit? Because it seems like it would be cheaper. (laughs) What about the concept of the metaverse? How does it compare to the internet as we know it? I liked the librarian. It was like my Google assistant. (laughs) How it's very helpful until sometimes you're like, I can't do that. Oh, come on. (laughs) And then it does it. Right. I can't summarize, but then it summarizes things. <laughs> the metaverse in Snow Crash is open source, mm-hmm. which ours is not. It's all owned by corporations, which is completely different. And since it's open source, there's all these unexplored open spaces, right? He talks about the street, and that's where the most people are. But everything that's in the metaverse is built up by individuals. And I guess there are some things built up by corporations, but it's a space that exists independently. And it's black, like it's darkness until people go and put things in. And then there's also the idea of bring your own avatar. So you have to be a hacker and code your own cool avatar or pay somebody to code your cool avatar. Or you buy, what do they call them? Like a Barbie and Ken? Brandy and Clint. (laughs) Brandy and Clint. They're like Barbie and Ken. That's exactly where I went with it. It's, It's supposed to be a play on Barbie and Ken, but it's Brandy and Clint. How ironic that we're discussing this when the number one movie in the nation is Barbie. Not to put a timestamp <laughs> on when we're recording, but um, it's interesting also that like everything else is hyper-capitalism, but the metaverse is not entirely. It's barely colonized. Right. It's the Mm -hmm. next frontier. Yeah. Still like the realm of hackers. Although L. Bob Reif has that giant 20 mile long black cube out on the opposite side of the spear from the street. Right. Because he owns all of the. The networks. The networks. Yeah. The fiber optic cables. (laughs) Yes. He's Google. And Amazon. (laughs) (laughs) And Microsoft oh. and at and okay. he's all of them all together. All of them, all of them. All rolled into one. Coming soon to a country near you. I mean, possibly. Monopolies are a big thing in this in this story. And I mean, how many companies does Disney own? <laughs> so The metaverse also is very much kind of, I mean, I can't say that 
it's like Ready Player One because it's really more Ready Player One's internet version is more <laughs> like the metaverse as expressed in Snow Crash. Does that make sense? Basically, people live a whole second existence in in this digital universe. I see what you're and, saying. Yeah, and that's what the metaverse is, but it's not. Like the metaverse is like Ready Player One. It's more like Ready Player One is based on the metaverse. Right. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. <laughs> I get that. I see what you're saying. Yes. Ready Player One's world is like a video game that everybody's playing all the time. Mm-hmm. And the metaverse uh, in Snow Crash is much more stark. Right. The hackers are building it slowly. Mm-hmm. It's dark. But it's to give of- people an idea, like, of, something we've seen already but um but i see what you're saying where it's like where that's where they hook in and everybody's in this same world it's interesting how some people project themselves exactly as they are in the metaverse and some people completely change themselves well it's a mark of your hacker ability to be able to project yourself fully right Hero can do it. Juanita can do it. David can do it because they were the originators. There's a scene where Hero talks about Juanita's face is totally authentic and his because she she based the models off of them and their expressions. I do like how they talk about faces in the metaverse and how Juanita was the one that zeroed in on making sure people could read expressions on the faces. Juanita talks about how she got pregnant when she was a teenager and that uh, she didn't tell anybody and her grandmother came to visit and her grandmother from sitting with them at the dinner table was able to tell like that what what the situation was and she said that that's what she was trying to do working on the faces of the avatars was to recreate her grandmother's ability to condense fact from the vapor of nuance. There we go. There you go. There you go. Also that's, that's a great line. <laughs> I, 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 we don't know what happened to that baby. <laughs> it just kind of, it was a story told to find, to, to get her to that that point of realizing faces were important but we don't know what happened to her baby we don't know much about Juanita and that makes me sad just to go back a little bit to you guys talked about the the librarian hero remarks or thinks to himself like any librarian in reality this daemon can move around without audible footfalls and he asks it, can you make a little bit more noise when you walk? But I can tell you from seeing in my office, librarians have very audible footfalls. <laughs> I, I Especially agree. the ones with keys. Yes. <laughs> There's only very few who can be quiet where they go. <laughs> The ones who don't have keys, who are actually quiet, I'm tempted to give them a uh, packet of Tic Tacs. (laughs) I'm always scaring people because I'm like right there behind them. Not trying to, but I get that a lot. You're the sidler. Which is weird because usually I think I'm pretty loud, but I guess other times I'm just stealth mode. So can we talk about uh, some of the language things that come up in there? Because he he does go into the etymology of words a lot. And you have this dual meaning of babble and babble that they get really deep into. And and then you get also a mixture of mythology in this. I mean, like the Tower of Babel idea, that's pretty clear. But where else does the uh, mythology come into play? Like with Inky and Asahara, they're actual, I had to, I looked them up because I was like, are they real? It's like, oh yeah, they're real. They're not just created for this book. Yeah. So talk about that a little. 
Um, so Enki is the god or a person who was able to sort of help inoculate the human race so that from Babel, from that, or this is where the Terra Babel mythos comes from and why the language diverges rather than converges so that we won't fall into the virus that is the language vi- oh my gosh the language virus that <laughs> oh lord help me <laughs> the language virus that um where everybody talks the same like the with the glossolalia 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 and the speaking in tongues was a was was what they were trying to prevent happening again in this book <laughs> sort of Ugh. Hmm. i don't think i explained anything at all <laughs> but that's sort of how you feel reading this book yes like okay i get i'm reading it and i'm like oh i get this i could totally talk about this and then i start thinking about it no i don't think i can talk about this at all <laughs> how do i explain this <laughs> It's uh, and also when it also goes even as far as saying like the when Jude, you know what? I found the chapter. It's chapter fifty six, where <laughs> where he goes and talks about it again, because <laughs> like he's already figured all of this out. He being hero has already figured all of this out using the clues that he's gotten the help with the librarian. Oh, there's all this talk about May the that's spelled M E. It's like you're talking about me? No, I, I think it's I think it's pronounced May. I did the audio and reading thing. So this goes back all to the idea that people's minds could be programmed and controlled using language. And the idea behind the Tower of Babel if I'm wrong, was that uh, people were all speaking the same language at that time and they were God, whatever deity was concerned that they would, well, this is what they're building now. They're just going to keep going and going and going. So we need to make them to where they can't understand each other and then they essentially take away their ability to speak the same language and scatter them across the earth. Oh, it Uh, was to help uh, progress, to keep progress going because the societies were, were stagnated in like baking bread. There's a whole baking bread analogy. They learn how to bake bread, the may of bread, which is the instructions of how to bake the bread. And then, Everybody goes to their temples or whatever. I'm like, I think it sounds like a library. They're going basically to, to their library and to, to get the instructions on how to bake the bread. And and Gay realized that there he created the nam shub to to make people uh, so to break the metavirus or it was that's the metavirus something about a metavirus so that people could for, not forget how to make bread but they could learn different ways of making bread so that it enhances society by breaking them apart and making them not to all speak the same language yeah so there's definitely a metaphor of language and computer language like human language and computer language at its most base level. Before Enki gave the the Nam shrub, which was the cure to Asherah's metavirus, right? Everybody was controlled by Asherah's metavirus, which was a it was like a set of programs. The May were a set of programs about how to live in society, but everything was very, very controlled until Enki came and produced the Nam shrub, which no one could speak that metavirus code machine language anymore so they all split off and developed their own languages and it created great variety perfect thank you so much you're wonderful (laughs) and this is what just for its purpose with the plot in the book this is what l bob rife is trying to bring back 
Uh, and what Snow Crash represents is sort of a version of the metavirus. And also aliens are somehow involved. Aliens? Yeah, at some point, because of the arrays that he has, he's able to get signals from <laughs> from the aliens. Do you, oh my god, do I have to go look for that too? Maybe, <laughs> no, no, maybe no, no, no. I know what you're talking about. Oh, I remember okay, okay. that part. Yeah, like, yeah. There is that reference was, to messages from yes. beyond. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, I think maybe he was just like writing it. He's like, there's just not enough going on. I need to throw something in. He threw everything. Aliens. Everything is in this. <laughs> It was a joke, Barry. Comedic license. No, everything is in this book, even aliens, except real, well-written women characters. But yes. <laughs> and what do you guys think of that whole section on the Alamo? <laughs> is that a joke? Did I miss something? Oh no! There is no section on the Alamo. <laughs> oh, there's a. Oh, I'm sorry about Alamo. the basement of the Alamo. <laughs> the basement of the Alamo. <laughs> Well, it does. At some point, they do mention Houston, Texas. So, so Texas is a <laughs> because. Oh, that's how about that? How about Rife has Hellball a Rife. yacht that is a former aircraft carrier? Oh, yeah. The Enterprise. <laughs> I think that's because the government was just selling off pieces of itself, right? As it tried yeah. not to go under. Yeah. Yeah. There's this part where the president of the United States shows up at the very end and nobody knows who he is. He's there with like Uncle Enzo and El Bob Rife. And, or no, it's not Uncle Enzo. It's yeah, El Bob yeah. Rife and um, Frank and two other people in his employee. And then this guy gets on the, the, the helicopter. He was like, wow, I'm glad I got here in time. And they're like, who are you? <laughs> <laughs> I'm the president. <laughs> like, oh, oh, hi. Oh. hi. <laughs> Do they make a ride in the back? Yeah. <laughs> This is a crazy story. <laughs> I liked it. I enjoyed it as I was reading it. But I was also like, whoa, <laughs> what am I reading? What's your favorite scene? I think not the last Fido scene, <laughs> but when he's getting when he realizes he needs to go help because his the the girl that loves him needs help and fido goes out and he remember he really he he remembers when he can jump over a fence and he does it not caring that oh he's not supposed to do it anymore i think it's the fido scene i really love that scene. i just i think it's just the heartwarming that's the one really heartwarming <laughs> moment or character in this whole book <laughs> <laughs> But there are some cool action scenes that happen. I like that when Hero actually kills a person in real life with his sword, he's shocked. <laughs> what about you? I I kind of alluded to it at the at the beginning, drinking a bottle of Cavassier with the samurai sword and slice in your underwear in the park, slicing people's frisbees in half. <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> that was hero's reaction to being dumped by juanita or actually or was it when juanita married david oh yeah it was, i think it, it was, was his the, reaction when they to get her married. marrying david yeah what about you jd i think the part that mary said about like when the guy was hacked in, in real life when they were that's funny i said hack and i didn't realize it's a pun when he was cut by a, a samurai sword because he thought he was like, who's this punk? I'm going to take care of him. But little did he know he was actually like a hero was a badass samurai and badass hacker and put it into his avatar. That was really cool. Oh, the scene in the club. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the, the Black Sun, the Metaverse Club, Hacker Club. Yeah. Yeah. That's, a, that's kind of cool. That is a kind of cool scene, too. He keeps going. I don't understand why they thought they were actually going to exchange swords if one was, or at least it seemed like the character was like, I'm going to get those swords back. Well, how? Because you're not, he's not actually, hold, you're not yeah. actually going to, what are you talking about? <laughs> Maybe that's just to show how dumb that character, that, <laughs> that, that little crazy character was. It wasn't even a character. He's just this one thing. <laughs> so the funny thing about that is when, 
hero defeats him and then he says safe i thought he was gonna take the swords and put them in the safe but no he drops it on his head yeah i thought that too i was like i I forgot about that yeah yeah Yeah, i was like oh maybe that's how they get the swords like now that character his avatar can't have swords but (laughs) so there i guess there are some as we keep talking about it, there are some problems with the story. I can't, I can't. It, it turns into the homage to the Roadrunner Coyote, Wally Coyote saga. To be fair, he did warn about that. It's written in the rules that you can hit somebody with a huge rubber mallet and squash them. Yeah, it's kind of absurdist that way. I think my favorite scene is the the motorcycle suit up before Hero heads out to Astoria. When he goes in there and he buys that, he's got all this money and he's like, I want the baddest motorcycle you have. And he goes crazy and he gets all the gear and he suits up and he like heads out on the highway and he's got his samurai swords on the back. And I just think that's really awesome. Yeah, it's pretty. But I think it also shows how his character is bad with money. (laughs) Well, no, he just got a whole lot of money. That was, was it from, was it from the concert that he promoted or the mafia somebody was supplementing before. his activity but who <laughs> Mary's Maybe? just like he's not being frugal end of story he's not being frugal at all no they gave him a junk ton of money so he could <laughs> take care I know of things when when he meets uncle enzo later on after that scene he gets a whole bunch of money but i don't know where he got this money from well, Somebody Uncle Enzo does have an affinity for YT. Right. And, and or maybe YT from... was kidnapped, right? Yeah. So it, it was for him to go and try and orchestrate a rescue of her. But that's after he meets Uncle Enzo when he gets back from his motorcycle ride. That's when Uncle Enzo gives him money. But, you know, they had been doing jobs. Maybe they just, maybe it's just understood, oh, they're, they've amassed more money now that I think it was YT's. Juanita. You think, I think so? Juanita I, I, could, him. I could believe that because she did give him all of that data and the library and, and the, oh, the earth. The, oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That was cool. That's cool. Where you could see what's going on anywhere on the earth because of all the satellites. But where does this take place for our listeners? Oh, inside when he's inside the metaverse, that's when he you can. So he has a house inside the metaverse. Oh, I see. And an office inside the house, and Juanita, she hands him a when they exchange business cards in the metaverse. They're handing each other like. programs or information and so when he runs into her in the metaverse she hands him her business card like his computer slows down like it becomes all fuzzy and it's apparent like she's dumped a ton of data on him and i have to believe that part of it that is the uh the library and the the earth program that remodeled his office for him and she's very rich because she kept her black son shares and he sold his to send his mom to a resort. So that's how she is good with money. But if he had held on to his, he could have been as rich as her. But he wasn't bad with money. He just chose family over money. He did. He did. And he... And he does say to himself as long as mom's okay that's my source of wealth that is very sweet who would you recommend this book to i think if you want to read the origins of cyberpunk this is a classic Mm. book to read this one Mm. and neuromancer by william gibson they're really the two texts that establish that as a subgenre it is a bit more niche than other things <laughs> recently. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like The Running Man also takes place in this universe. Is that the movie with Arnold Schwarzenegger? 
Yeah, where you like, doesn't he like do a game show or something? Deadly game show. Yeah, it's a it's a game show where prisoners are forced to, you know, basically go through this hyper dangerous escape room to earn their freedom. Reality TV meets game show. Who would you recommend it to? Oh. I would recommend it to fans of Joseph Heller. Catch-22, because Mm. it seems like a very Catch-22 put to science fiction. So, but no, like, if, if people like, you know, The Running Man, if they like the style of writing, I feel a similarity between their writing styles. Yeah, or like Joseph, a... Joseph Heller has a character named Major Major Major, and he he's in the army and he's a major in the army and his first name is Major and his last name is Major, so he's <laughs> Major Major Major. That's terrible. I feel or... like a hero protagonist is sort of a similar. Um... I I do like that his name is Hero Protagonist. <laughs> <laughs> the subtlety. <laughs> it's. Maybe is he a good guy though? Ah, uh, he's a guy. Um <laughs> <laughs> he's definitely a guy. <laughs> I mean he doesn't he's not terrible, he's not mean, I don't believe. He's still finding himself, and he finally at the end decides that he does want to be with Juanita. He does want to understand her more. I think no, no, he kind of knew he always wanted to be with her. Like he went, he understands her more because he understands himself more. So, so he says, "I don't think he's a bad guy." I mean, how many people, period, let alone guys, would basically say goodbye to that amount of fortune for even their mom? No, no, yeah, that's a good that's a good point. He's not a bad guy. He does save the world. He does save the world. <laughs> you guys got really high expectations. <laughs> but he works for the mafia. Well, so do <laughs> but he gives people. people pizza. <laughs> it's it's a he's conflicted. A, the world is not a good place. So he's a good guy in a bad place, maybe. <laughs> I think he has a fairly typical kind of machismo of the early 90s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's it's definitely dated in that way in terms mm-hmm, of male-female mm-hmm, relationships. Mm-hmm. And there's like dominance of men in tech culture. It's definitely part of the period that it came from. It's reflective. Yeah. He, he does talk about how... Juanita being a woman in a male-dominated field is subjected to all kinds of sexism, but she wins out in that she's clearly the best of them. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. She becomes like a high priestess at the end in control right. of the language because she can't be affected. She's inoculated, essentially, so mm-hmm. she's sort of more like Enki, and she works for that specifically. I do think there's good representation in this book as well. You know, you have folks from a variety of different racial backgrounds, cultural backgrounds, ability backgrounds. It's mm-hmm. pretty good for 1992. Yeah, yeah. I, I will say, and maybe it changes later in the book, if I told Mary about this, the first time Latino men are represented, we're just sitting around smoking, shaking our heads. Boo. <laughs> yes, but Juanita is. <laughs> Latino males is what I said. <laughs> yeah they don't they aren't represented very positively are they well i guess neither are italian men um <laughs> <laughs> well and the cab drivers are referred to as jeeks i know there's a lot of vocabulary I was like is that a- oh no <laughs> people, are, people are represented but they're also hated yes <laughs> <laughs> Lots of races and lots of racism. <laughs> all around. Everybody all around. <laughs> I do like that he brought, he, he used the term hoose gal. I was like, wow. I wasn't expecting ever to see that 
probably ever, I guess. Oh, and the Hooskow is like a hotel compared to the Clink. So the Clink, I like the two different. <laughs> <laughs> the two different prisons on the Hooskow, you could get chili and all this great <laughs> stuff when you're <laughs> not at the clink. <laughs> nope. Imagine she was looking forward to like Frito pie served in a bag <laughs> and with onions and cheese, and, and then she just got handcuffed to a drain pipe. <laughs> But even there, they had a three-ring binder that they had to <laughs> adhere to certain protocols. Right. And Hero, Hero knew what their protocols were. He does go and get her. That was good. Okay, he's a good guy. I don't know if he met, set out to save the world knowing that that's what he was like, you know, it seemed more like he wanted to fight Raven again. <laughs> Does it matter? Yeah, I guess he saved the world. That's good, yeah. <laughs> he gradually gives them the W. <laughs> Thank you for saving the world, hero protagonist. <laughs> okay, well, I guess this is where we say thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode or other episodes we've done, please remember to subscribe or give us a good rating. View our book list reviews and suggested reads at https forward slash forward slash guides dot dot org forward slash ete. That's our Escape the Earth Lib Guide for the San Antonio Public Library. You can write us with stories, suggestions, random thoughts, and or interesting sci-fi or geek culture information at SAPL escape the earth at gmail.com all smushed together like one word and join us next month for a discussion of gideon the ninth by tamson muir thanks everybody thank you escape the earth escape the earth